0: to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer, bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby, sharing ideas to make the game better.
1: This episode is proudly brought to you by Rocky Analytics. Rocky Analytics helps teams improve. They take your game footage and analyze it for you so you don't have to. No yearly software subscriptions or expensive hardware needed. No need to spend hours inputting the information or having to use Excel. Rocky creates a player database for you based on the quality of the player's performance. Players and coaches measure their performance week on week on Rocky's platform and watch their clips. And for listeners of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast, Rucky is offering a 40% discount on analysis for next season. If you're involved in a school, club, semi-professional, professional, or union, get in touch. They will help your team improve. Contact coach at rucky.com. Coach at r-u-c-k-i-e dot com to find out more and mention the podcast to get your discount.
2: All right, welcome to episode 86 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Eddie Jones. Eddie is the head coach of England. He has also coached Australia, South Africa, Japan, and the Brumbies to success. He needs no introduction, so let's get straight into it. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Eddie. So welcome. Good on you, Andy. Thanks, Cheers. So you're, you're in Japan right now?
3: Uh, still in Tokyo. Go back next Monday, mate, to the UK. Things right, are, are right, settling down there now.
2: Yeah. Okay. So I bet you. I bet you. Itchy to get stuck in.
3: Uh, yeah. Well, I think we've still got some time to time to go before rugby yeah. uh, resumes in any sort of fashion. But it's getting closer, mate
2: yeah no hundred percent i think uh, that that feeling's worldwide so yeah we'll probably- probably tap into a bit of that uh, later on um yeah. what about you going- going back uh your 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 playing back story what's a what's a brief uh summary of that
3: yeah no i was uh very lucky mate i remember being in a primary school and there was yeah. three aboriginal boys um the three Ellis so yeah. We played. Awesome. We played rugby league. We played rugby league up until fifteen. Um, yeah. Went to a high school that was a rugby school because you had the three L's in your side. You, you generally tended <laughs> you to win right. everything. Um, <laughs> so I was lucky to play with the best players. Then moved to Randwick, played a fair bit of first grade there. Played a, a handful of games for New South Wales and uh, had half a season at Leicester. Uh, yeah. Right. Which is quite quite ironic that I've ended up coaching in in England, um, yeah. but it was a good introduction. And uh, yeah, no, nah, I was lucky, mate. Played with good players.
2: Yeah, and not only that, you're you're surrounded by some uh, pretty awesome coaches too uh, in the, in your Randwick days and and your high school days as well. What what were some of the big big takeaways from coaches like Bob Dwyer and the like?
3: Yeah, well, the first one was Jeff Mould at Matrural High. Uh, nice. He was just so passionate about his philosophy of the game. Yeah. And his philosophy of the game was to play as close to the game line as you can. Mm-hmm. Short beat beat the opposition through short passes. Um brilliant at the basics. And that's probably the most overlying principle I have in coaching today. You know, I still remember that, still think that's correct. Uh then I was lucky to have Bob and Bob Dwyer, who was way ahead of his time, you know, yeah. he uh, introduced sports science to rugby coaching, had a brilliant eye. Uh, yeah, he was one of those guys, you'd play a game, you'd come off and he'd, he'd say, remember at the 55-minute mark you game down <laughs> the left-hand side? Did you see the inside support? He, he, was, he was just Amazing. a brilliant coach.
2: Yeah, yeah. And what about your first early days of coaching? Um, how, how were they and what were some of the memories of some of the lessons from
3: those those times? I was, again, lucky, mate. Uh, First major coaching job was at a university in Japan called Tokai University, which is about 40 minutes west of Tokyo. Um, They'd come second last in their league for the last nine years. I went there and I managed to get them to come second last again. (laughs) Didn't do a a great job. But But for a young coach, it was the first job I had. Mm. It was the best job I ever had. I had 150 kids. There was one That's coach. amazing. amazing. Um, so I, they used to have 150 kids trained together. Amazing. Um, so I split them up into three groups. So I basically did six and a half hours, seven hours of coaching a day. Um, and it was the best way to learn the trade.
2: Yeah, 100%. You would have been totally immersed and, you know, it's baptism by fire almost.
3: Yeah, no, it was. And then I the first... Big professional job I got was at the Brumbies. Uh, mm. so again, I managed to uh, take a team that came second the previous year and managed to get them to tenth. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I was like, and it was like jumping in a swimming pool with um, you know floaties on, mate. I wasn't yeah. ready for it, um, and I had to learn pretty quickly, which uh, fortunately I did. And then we changed the whole system of how we played. Mm. In the next 24 months, and became the most successful side in Southern Hemisphere.
2: Yeah, I just actually finished watching the 2001 final, um, and just uh, the, the, it's just a great story, like a game of two halves almost. And uh, you know, just players like Joe Roth, um, just world class, and and then you know Butch James just going around hunting everyone. Uh, it was a, it's, a, it's a great game to watch.
3: Yeah, no, we played uh, exceptionally well. We had a fantastic team, mate, a lot mm-hmm. of really good senior players, Kafer, Gregan, Larkin, and yeah. Roff, you know, Finnegan, uh, Williams. Amazing. Really blessed, mate, really blessed. And those boys, they had a great time. You know, It was the early part of professionalism. It was still pretty wild, Ben. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, you still had the old school sort of – Amateur club drinking, uh, <laughs> but getting paid to do it and playing yeah. together as a group of mates and, and traveling around the world—it was a—it was a great time for
2: me. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I just—I just finished reading your your autobiography, uh, "My Life in Rugby," and a couple of things that jumped out at me. And that one was um, just how, over you know, twenty plus years of coaching, how how your coaching style has evolved in time. It, do you, do you remember any particular moments or key conversations when you realised, okay, I've got to evolve, I've got to develop?
3: Uh, no, it probably happened over a period of time. Again, you know, I've been quite fortunate. I had a great run early, had great teams, great players. I uh, had a bad season with the Wallabies mm-hmm. um, and then I took a job I shouldn't have taken, which was the Reds, mm-hmm. um, and I coached badly. Um, yeah. But I'm actually quite proud of, of what I achieved in that season because it was the start of Quade Cooper and Will Jenya, uh, yeah. who then went on to become obviously greats for Australian rugby and for Queensland rugby and to win the Super Rugby four years. Yeah, but obviously. I didn't coach well that year. Um, and we were getting to that stage where there was there was seriously generation changes in the way the players were. I was probably slow to adapt to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but through that period and then... At the end of the Reds, I was lucky enough to go and assist uh, South Africa as technical advisor. Yeah. So that sort of gave me my love back of coaching where I just had Mm. to coach and I was coaching great players. And uh, the big change for me is that, you know, you probably spend in those days, the early days, 90% of your time at the start at the head of the room, giving energy, giving direction instructing and now it's probably the opposite. You spend 10% at the front of the room, ninety percent at the back of the room, guiding, helping players discover where they need to go. Yeah, yeah the players have changed. They're, they're much more, they want to have a say. They're much more individually driven than they were. Mm-hmm. And so your coaching approach has to change.
2: Yeah, no, hundred percent. It's, it's great advice. And the other, the other name that popped up a lot in your book was Pemby. What, uh, what can you tell us about him? How, how important was his role to supporting you? And and what some advice you give to coaches around some of the lessons you learned from him?
3: Yeah, well, I think any any coaches that's serious about wanting to coach at the highest professional level, get a group of people around you that you trust mm. uh, that have more knowledge than you've got. In Pemby's case he's brilliant at assessing the media environment, assessing how how the team can get an advantage. Mm. Um, and you need those sort of people, you know, as they say in England in your back room. Those people with great advice that can can really point you in the right direction.
2: Yeah, yeah. And the last thing on your book, or one another thing that jumped out at me was how you the difference between, say, coaching Australia and Japan versus England, in terms of finding like a a spiritual home almost that you can rally the culture around, and how you know Australia took him out to the back our back and and um you know in Japan you took him to uh, uh was it kyushu uh, I think it was pronounced yeah. and and how you struggled Kayushu, to yeah. yeah okay so and then and you struggled to find that that spot how did in england how did you how did you work around that?
3: Uh, well, I think you know the the popular thing to say now, and that uh, I think the cynic guys made a, a fortune out of saying that everything's got to have a why. Um yeah. That's not new. Like, yeah, yeah. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> you know, to do something properly, you've always had to have a why to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because you've always got to have that extra motivation to to go the the the, the step. Um. So you're always looking for any team you cage to come up with a purpose for that team. And mm-hmm. sometimes it might be just the rugby. But yeah. It might be the rugby. Yeah. Sometimes it's cultural. Sometimes it's emotional. You know, we saw with South Africa in the last World Cup, all the timing of everything was brilliant for the mm-hmm. country to come together. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes it just happens by, by uh, circumstance. Sometimes you've got to drive the circumstance. Um, so you're, but you're always looking for that something special to to bring your team closer together.
2: So you can't hitch your trailer to one method in driving or developing or fostering a team culture.
3: Not at all. Not at all. I remember that, you know, the Aussie team, we had a, the Aussie team had a great run. They were the best team in the world. We had Mm. to rebuild for that 2003 World Cup and we were struggling a bit, to be honest, Mm -hmm. um, and, and by chance we went to Arnhem Land and it's probably the most unplanned thing I've ever done. And it ended up superb. <laughs> Amazing. Um, you know, we had Aboriginal dances. We were out on billabongs fishing. We had a crocodile attack the boat, which gave the whole thing a bit of humor. Lottie Takiri <laughs> nearly fell in. Um, <laughs> um, and, uh, and then we had a great night and it just, it just brought people together and, yeah. and that stuck. And we, and there was a lot of symbolic things that came out of that that ritual with Japan. Yes. We went to the original place where the boulder that Japan was supposed to be built on, which is in the national wow. anthem. We went there, and, and yeah, we had six or seven foreign boys in the team, uh, mostly New Zealanders. One Aussie boy, Craig mm. Wing, mm-hmm. um, and they, you could feel that occasion. Everyone pulling together and and giving it something special. Uh, with England, you know, we ended up going through quite a difficult couple of camps where mm. we had players at each other. We had to get rid of a couple of players. Um, but, again, that process built the team tighter and closer. So, But you've always got to, as a coach, you've always got to be searching for it, mate.
2: Yeah, 100%. So who, who'd win out of a, a Crocodile and Lottie Tukiri? Uh
3: Luckily, <laughs> Lottie stayed on the boat, mate. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, he wouldn't have scored those... Those couple of tries with the ball head for the, the Rabbitohs,
2: maybe yeah. it's my favourite league team. Oh yeah, absolutely, beauty. Um, well, on to the, the World Cup, um, there's been a, there's been a lot of talk about uh, your use of uh, tactical periodisation and you know how it's been adapted from the soccer model. Um, you know, mo- most people listening to this podcast are you know twice a week club coaches. How, how well, what's a bit of a description about tactical periodisation? How could a club coach adapt it to their you know Tuesday Thursday? Uh, game Saturday kind of model?
3: Yeah, Andy. Well, there's nothing magical about it, mate. Mm. Um, but it's a methodology where the game's everything. So you've got to have a clear picture in your head of what the game is and you should be able to enunciate that in a couple of sentences. Mm. So we we play rugby this way. Yeah. What are the main parts of our game? Like with England, we're, we try to put as maximum pressure on the opposition as we can. We find ways of trying to put pressure on the opposition. But then creates attacking opportunities for us. Mm-hmm. Now you watch the way New Zealand play. Yeah, New Zealand traditionally have been a high kicking team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they kick a lot, and they're they're the most brilliant team in kick return or creating unstructured situations. Um, South Africa's been a power set piece team. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be able to in those few words be able to describe, and it doesn't have to have the totality of how you play, but it's got to paint a picture. In, in your head as a coach and your player's head. So that's then you base everything at training about that. Everything you do, all your fitness, all your your skill activities are based towards that game plan. The second part of it is then you periodise your week. Um, and for a club coach this is massively important. Mm. So you know at the international level we only train seriously once a week. So club, club coaches out there got more time than we've got. <laughs> but we've only really got Wednesday to train yeah. where we have a proper training session because mm-hmm. the players are too battered on a Monday. Uh, Tuesday we'll do a light, fast session, and then Wednesday we'll do a heavy physical which prepares them for the game. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. You know, so people have this idea that because you're a professional team, you have all this extra time. You don't. So mm-hmm. the principles I'm talking about here are exactly the same for a club coach. So you've got to understand for each day of training, what's the physical component you want to train and what's the tactical and skill component you want to train. And that doesn't, again, doesn't have to be the whole day, but it needs to be most of the day. So for us on a Tuesday, we train fast, uh, full recovery, and we do most of our structured attack. On a Wednesday, it's defence, and you, you defend well, you get unstructured situations, so it's an unstructured attack. Mm. So we practice serving in tennis on on a Wednesday and and doing our, our return to serve, right. um, and that's that's a very physical session. So we try to make that about eighty percent load of the game.
2: Right. Oh, that's that's really that kind of demystifies it a bit too. I think that's yeah. that's one yeah. of the things people hear that and go, oh, this doesn't apply to my setting. But when you put it yeah. like that, it, you can.
3: So I remember, yeah, you know, this is flipping long time ago now, mate, coaching around week. <laughs> Uh, used to do a similar thing, mate. Tuesday, be lighter, we train fast, train our attack. Then Thursday, the players are ready. They're a bit close to the game. They're mm. ready to hit. Mm. So we do all our, our mauling work, all our defence work, and we do some longer phases of attack. Um, so really, in reality, it's just a, sophistic- a little bit of a sophistication on that.
2: Yeah right, beauty. Um, and and what about the World Cup? No no doubt you've 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 talked uh, nonstop about that. Um, what, in reflecting now, what would be one or two really big takeaways for you from the from the World Cup?
3: Uh, well, it's always about as a coach out there and all the coaches. The most important job selection: get your selection mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. Um, and your selection's right. It's firstly, for your squad. And then secondly, for game by game, no, I think I did a reasonable job up until the final. I've spoken about it. I think I I should have rotated a few players, Um, maybe started a few guys that that didn't start in the semi, Um, just to give us something a little bit different at the start of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think you've always got to, when you're selecting, you, you want consistency, but you've also got to... Add that little bit of uncomfortableness to your team, so no mm. one knows they they're in the team for certain yeah um, and it's a fine balance of getting it right, but selection's the number one thing, and number two is like the game of rugby hasn't changed mate um, yeah, yeah you've got to be brilliant at the basics and you've got to be able to do it under the most intense pressure
2: mm. uh, fair fair call cool. um, all right well um you know, we, we do have rugby somewhere in the world, which is, which is pretty cool to, you know, experience. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit about the southern hemisphere for now. With, with the COVID lockdown, it's kind of presenting some opportunities for, for Australian rugby uh, in terms of the super rugby competition. You've been a former Wallaby coach what, what and a former super coach, of course. What do you see as uh, at a time like this would be a, a model that would not only help Australian rugby perform, but also, you know, attract uh, supporters and fans?
3: Well, I think, that, again, the Kiwis have shown the way. Um, yeah. You know, they've, they've got their own interpretation of, of how they want the game played. They want it faster. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're using that to develop their general New Zealand game style. And they're also promoting young players, mate. Like, yeah, you know, this is an ideal time to promote young players where, there is crowds, but you're not playing for, for like, bricks and mortar. Um, so the odd mistake was it's difficult. Uh, you can tolerate it. Like, just watching that Auckland um, Highlanders game on the weekend, you know, yeah. Caleb, Caleb Clark, young winger, playing Unreal. sevens yeah. last year. Now, he's got the opportunity now to push his game forward. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, the centre, Rico Ione, who who was previously, you know, an out-and-out yeah. winger. Is now experimenting at thirteen. So you mm. develop this new talent. Highlanders had the young fullback who made a hell of a lot of mistakes, but you know that if he's a good enough player, he'll adapt and come back. And mm. and this for Australian rugby, I see this as a golden opportunity for them to promote young players. The yeah. best, the best young talent should be playing. The precious less, um, and you can find out which ones adapt the quickest.
2: Yeah and that's 100% there you saw it with the junior world cup the the team that australia had uh when they narrowly lost to france in the final there's there's that talent is there for sure
3: yeah see, most of that under 20 side if they're not playing super rugby when it starts what is it this week then, mm, yeah. then it's uh then it's going to be possibly an opportunity lost
2: yeah, yeah, I agree. And what about um, Super Rugby Al Era? What, what, are, what are some of your takeaways for, with a coach's eye watching, watching those games and, you know, the new law interpretations, which aren't really new laws. They're just, like, focusing on on key parts of the game.
3: Well, the referees stop refereeing the breakdown, mate. You know, yeah, yeah. In, a, in a law or court, they would be charged guilty, yeah. um, you know, and sentenced to a long time in jail um, because they've only got one job, and that's the referee of the law. Mm. That's the one job they've got to do, yeah. um, but they've tried to become entertainers because they think higher ball in play gives you a better game, mm. which in fact's the opposite, um because we've basically over the last period of time taken contests out of the breakdown, which is a contest but the difference between rugby and and rugby league is that we're a contest game 100%. rugby league's a continuity game, mm-hmm. so we've tried to make it into a continuity game, and you need that balance between. Contest and continuity. So I think what the the interpretation of the Kiwis, although I, I didn't like what I saw on the weekend, I thought the referees eased off because they succumbed to media pressure. Mm. Yeah, we've got to keep we've got to keep at it. Get the get the game cleaner. Mm-hmm. Get the breakdown cleaner, which means the tackler's got to roll away. The supporting player's got to generally, if there's any sign of a contest, got to be in a in a position on his feet. If it, if he goes off his feet and there's no contest, we'll play on. Use common sense. Yeah. Um. And we've got to give the good contesters at the breakdown the opportunity to contest. So yeah. I really like what I saw. No. But we've got to keep it going.
2: Me too, hundred percent. And I I'd like uh, not only you know refs to stick with it, but also commentators to to understand what's what's being attempted here with the with the law changes because it's basically. You know, you're protecting the players at the breakdown, but also rewarding attacking play and turnover of possession.
3: Yeah. yeah. Because what what will come out of this, Andy, is that if they get the balance right, then we'll end up getting some really quick ball at the ruck. Mm, and mm. if we get quick ball at the ruck, then we get some fatigue in the game. We get some fatigue in the game. We get more space. And then we'll see a, a, a better attacking game. And the defending sides will still be able to defend well. Yeah. If you've got a... Like in the old times of George Smith or now you've got a Tom Curry or a Sam mm. Kane. Those guys, if there's space on that on that breakdown, they'll be in there and they'll be given the opportunity to win the ball.
2: Yeah, yeah, without having their career cut short as well. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Cool. Um, all right, what, what about you as a coach? What's your favourite part uh, of the game the coach? And if someone was to come along and watch it, what what would the session look like if you're, you're prepping for a game?
3: Uh, well, I've got a. I think one of the most important things for coaches, and particularly the young coaches out there, be a generalist. Mm-hmm. Don't be a specialist. Yeah. Coach the whole game. You've got to know the whole game because our game's not segmented. There's not one part of the mm-hmm. game. It's all, all put together. So know the game. I've always liked coaching attack uh, from my background at, at Randwick and at Matchville High with Jeff Muller, as I've spoken about. So I like our sides to play flat and fast on the game line. You know, I like to keep the opposition driving the opposition back. But these days you've got to kick the ball a bit more to drive them back. Um, It's a bit harder because of the number of people on their feet and and the the defence capabilities of the opposition. Because you look now, you know, most locks can defend like back rowers. Mm. You know, and and now we're getting props who can defend like like, uh, back rowers. And you yeah. saw saw on the weekend there was a great tackle Caden oh, Taylor unreal. made at the end and <laughs> end of the end of the lineout. Now Hawkers couldn't make those ten years ago, and now yeah. so defenses are so hard to beat. Now you've got to attack really well and quickly. Mm. Mm. So you've got to try to get to their goal line with as least number of rucks as you can.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And um, what uh, what what about post? Practice, Do you, how do you reflect on your sessions? Do you, do you have a formal process that you follow or do you, do you work with the other coaches in the group? Or how, how does that process work?
3: Uh, we're continually changing it and we're just going to start the next time we get together doing hot debriefs. I uh, yeah. mean by that, we're going to, at the end of our main session on the Wednesday, not every Wednesday, but some Wednesdays, we're going to get the players in for five, ten minutes and go through the main part of the session. So I think a key thing for every training session is to have a key objective or objectives and then assess those objectives.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Right. And what, what about staff selection? How do you, how do you select your assistant coaches? Do you, do you look for an area that the team needs or is it based around, you know, personality and body of work? What, what, what goes into that process?
3: I was, l- I was lucky enough to have a chat to Justin Langer recently, this show, uh, Cricket cake, what, uh, what a documentary yeah, that is. Yeah, documentary that. yeah, no, it's a good show, it? and He had a lovely saying, character over cover drive.
2: <laughs> Perfect, I
3: love it. As, and it's true for staff, you know. You yeah. want good characters, you want people who they obviously need to know the game, but they need to be good characters. They yeah. need to want to learn and do. Like there's a lot of people out there now that love to learn but not many people do. So the hardest part is learning is what you've learned is implementing it in a a way that's going to matter for your team, that's going to improve your team, and that's the hardest part to get right.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh great. Awesome. Well great advice. Well, you know, I I know your time's uh valuable and you you're busy planning. Um so you know, we always end this show with the same final four questions. When when you were a kid growing up, first fell in love with the game, who were who were some of the players that really stood out to you that, that got you into the game? Probably a few leagueys in there.
3: Uh yeah, no, no, no. Well I love rugby league, so I loved Arthur Beatson. Yeah. Um, he, was <laughs> he was just a colossal to me. <laughs> he was the only bloke I've ever seen offload the ball 30 metres. He was a freak. Um, <laughs> he was brilliant, yeah. yeah. the best player I've ever seen is Mark mm. he was He was an absolute yeah. genius. And then the modern-day players, Free uh, you know, you got George and George mm. Smith, great players. We're lucky to have, you know, Owen Farrell, Johnny May. So I've been lucky to be involved with a number of good players. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, that was going to be my second question. Who are some of the players now, you know, outside of England on on the international circuit that you, that you enjoy how they play? Uh, well,
3: I, like, I like how that Mwanga plays for the Crusaders. I yeah. think he's got a, he moves really well. I like how he, he uh, sometimes comes in the line late and attacks. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how he develops because he's going to have to probably change his game a little bit to be a consistent tenant in national level. Mm-hmm. But if he can do that, he could be a really good player. Uh, the French ten's a good player. Uh, oh, yes. Mac, yeah, uh, Tough Agreed. little bloke. Yeah. Tackles, likes to, likes to make his tackles. You know, good spotter in defence, comes mm-hmm. out of the line.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, and has created a pretty handy kicking game. And they've got a great little nine too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So they're quite blessed at the moment.
2: No, they're looking great if they can if they can keep the other pieces of their game together. I think that's that's shaping up well. And and what about coaches? Who's a high profile coach that you've got a lot of respect for and you you like what they what they do and how they how they operate?
3: Well, I think over the last period of time, you know, Steve Hansen's been incredible, mm. mate. You know, yeah. he changed the team from an eighty percent winning team to a ninety percent winning team. Mm. They played some unbelievable rugby. Um, if you look at that quarter final against Ireland. Yeah, you know, if anyone's bored, watch that quarter final against Ireland. They were absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, so he's and you know, he coached since the early super rugby. Yeah, you know, he was at the Crusaders when nice. I was at the Brumbies. So yeah, you know, he's had a great innings. Graham Henry before him was a was also a defensively brilliant tactical coach. Um, the best uh selector of, of players I've ever seen is Jake White at that South Africa. Oh right, Brilliant excellent. Selector. Yeah. Brilliant yeah. selector. Um and then in rugby league you've got Bellamy, uh mm. you've got Ricky Stewart, are all great coaches.
2: Yeah, yeah, great. And Justin Langer, of course, in cricket. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh last question, who's who's someone who's maybe doesn't have the profile of those players but is is doing really good work, um, you know, behind the scenes and and deserves some recognition for their coaching.
3: Well, I think any club coach, mate.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, like, yeah, club coaches and people can never underestimate the value that they bring. Like, yeah, you know, how many kids are out there that their introduction to rugby or whatever age, mm. if it's a positive introduction, they keep playing rugby. If it's a negative introduction, they say to mum and dad, "I don't want to go to training." Yeah, yeah. So every club coach is is the mo- is the jewel in the crown for for rugby and. uh yeah, as I said, there's, there's no difference coaching at a club level than is international level. Um, the process of coaching a team is still the same. You've got a certain amount of time. We ne- no one has enough time. No. What, the skill is being able to use the time you've got productively to make your team better. Mm. Bob DeWyer used to have a great saying, if you can't improve a team in a week, you can't coach. And he's <laughs> 100% right. It's pretty good. Uh, and I would never, I'd never argue with Bob.
2: No, no way. I've never met him, but I wouldn't either. <laughs> cool. All right, Eddie, well, it's been awesome having you on the show. It's been a, been a great chat and, you know, thanks for giving up your time and, you know, I hope, hope uh, the transition back to England goes well and uh, look forward to, to seeing uh, your your team progress and, and, you know, hopefully we get some uh, Northern Hemisphere rugby soon.
3: Thanks, Andy, and it's a pleasure to be on and all the listeners out there, uh, I hope you've learnt one thing today. If you haven't, ask
1: Andy for his money back. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Thanks, Eddie. Cheers, mate. This episode is proudly brought to you by Rocky Analytics. Rocky Analytics helps teams improve. They take your game footage and analyze it for you so you don't have to. No yearly software subscriptions or expensive hardware needed. No need to spend hours inputting the information or having to use Excel. Rocky creates a player database for you based on the quality of the player's performance. Players and coaches measure their performance week on week on Rucky's platform and watch their clips. And for listeners of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast, Rucky is offering a 40% discount on analysis for next season. If you're involved in a school, club, semi-professional, professional professional, or union, get in touch. They will help your team improve. Contact coach at rucky.com coach at r-u-c-k-i-e to find out more and mention the podcast to get your discount
0: thanks for listening to the rugby coaches corner podcast if you enjoyed the show please leave a review via itunes and keep listening for the next episode Also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website, therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.